If you have the opportunity to work with kids in your community through teaching in the school system or through coaching in athletics or through leading in extracurricular activities like dance or art, if you have the chance to plug into a children's ministry in a local church, you can really learn a lot from the kids, right? And, I, I, you know, the first year you're engaging with children, you learn a lot about those individual kids. You learn about the things that they do, the things that they say, how they act. You pick up a lot of things about them. Year two, you get a new crop of kids in there, and you again begin to learn about those kids and observe things about them and figure out how to work with them and help them in whatever capacity you're working with them. Year three, there's a good chance some little kid's going to walk into that room, and in about uh, 10, 15 minutes, you're going to start recognizing something about that kid. You'll be like, I've seen this activity before, I've seen this attitude before, I've seen this action before. You're going to be thinking, this has got to be so-and-so's little brother. <laughs> you know, you, you can pick up on that stuff. And the more years you work with those kids, the more you begin to notice which kids come from the same family. Sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's not. And it's because we all recognize what it's like to have family resemblances. The scripture we're going to read today talks about two families and that there are only two families in the world ultimately. You have God's family and you have the devil's family. And everyone is a part of one of those two families. And the passage is going to tell us that it's obvious which family you're a part of. Now in light of that, I suspect you're like me. I want to know I'm in God's family. And so this morning, my hope and prayer is after we read this passage and work through it, that every single person here would be able to leave these doors knowing you're in God's family. All right, so let's read our passage together. It's 1 John chapter 2, verses 20, starting in chapter 29 through chapter 3, verse 10. It's a lengthy passage, and we're going to read it all together and then work through it uh, verse by verse or so. All right, chapter 2, verse 29. If you know... That he is righteous, God is righteous. You know also that the one who practices righteousness has been born of him. Behold or see what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God, and we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. 
Beloved, now we are the children of God. And what is revealed, it is not, excuse me, and what we will become has not yet been revealed. We know that when he is revealed, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. And everyone having this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone practicing sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was revealed so that he might take away sin. And there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains or abides in him does not sin. Everyone sinning has not seen him and does not know him. Children, make sure you're not deceived. The one doing righteousness The one practicing righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one practicing sin is from the devil, because the devil is sinning from the beginning. For this reason, the Son of God was revealed, so that he might destroy the works of the devil. Everyone who has been born from God, does not practice sin because his seed remains in him and he is not able to sin because he has been born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Everyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who doesn't love his brother. That is a challenging passage. And I want to focus in on the two commands in this passage. The first command in the passage is chapter 3, verse 1. See, or behold... What manner of love God has given or bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. The command is that we would look at the love of God. If you're growing up in the first century, about the time this was written and you lived in a port city or a harbor city, then a great deal of your life would likely revolve around the ships coming into port. 
And I suspect that a portion of your life would be garnered towards the attention that you would give a ship on the horizon headed towards your harbor. And the word that's used here commanding us to look at what manner of love God has poured out on us, given us, is the same way you would describe standing at the port, at the harbor, looking out at the sea, seeing a ship on the horizon saying, look, there's a ship and we want to see what manner of ship is coming into our harbor. Perhaps it's a ship that's carrying all the goods and and things that we need for life. Or maybe it's a ship that's a threat to our harbor and our way of life. And so you would stand in expectation. You would listen to the rumors. And you would want to know what kind of ship is coming into our harbor. That's exactly what is being commanded here. You are to look on the harbor of life, and you are to look at the ship of God's love coming in to the harbor of your heart, and you are to see the love of God because it is marvelous and worthy to be beheld. And so we're commanded to look at God's love, which is not hard to think about, not hard to contemplate, not hard to want to see because love is something that everybody identifies with. We want to love and be loved. Love is something that the world has written about again and again. There is certainly more things written about love than any other topic in the world. There's not a person in here that does not want and need to be loved. Life is different when we're loved. Problems are different when we feel like somebody cares about us. We, we all identify the need to be loved. And here we have God commanding us, I want you to take a deep look into the way I have loved you. In William Shakespeare's famous Romeo and Juliet, Juliet says, So dearly I loved him that all deaths I could endure with him. Without him, no life could I live. We we read that, we hear that, and we identify with a longing for that kind of love. But every one of us here needs a love that is far more significant than any love we can share with another human being. We need to know that God loves us. And God's commanded us to see it, to behold it, to recognize it. God in his goodness has revealed his love. God could have, after he called Abraham in the Old Testament, And said to Abraham, I'm going to take you as a unique family on the face of the earth. And I'm going to so bless your family that in your family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God could have at that moment said, I am going to show my love to the world by choosing Abraham to be a blessing to the world. When Abraham experienced the fulfillment of God's promise that he'd make him a great nation, and that nation was in slavery in another nation, 
God could have decided to demonstrate his love so that we could see it clearly. He could have chosen to demonstrate his love simply by taking his people that were in slavery and getting them out of slavery and getting them free from Egypt. He could have chosen just to demonstrate his love by that. God could have equally chosen to demonstrate his love simply by taking this people who he'd taken out of slavery and putting them in a brand new land that was just for them. He could have chosen just to say, I'm going to show my love for the world by taking a people that I have formed and made to be a blessing to the rest of the world and give them a land from which they could bless the world. He could have just stopped there. God could have said, I want to give this people a land. I want to give them a king. I want to give them a purpose. I want to set them apart of all nations. And I want them to be the nation in which I dwell. He could have just said, I'm going to put my house in that nation. I'm going to dwell with them so they know me and can follow me. And the rest of the world can see that I am with them. He could have stopped right there and said, this is my demonstration of my love to the world. When that people said, even though God's in our presence, we're going to do our own thing, and they rebelled against God, and God put them into another country in exile, he could have at that point said, I'm going to demonstrate to the world my love by bringing my people who don't deserve to be my people out of exile when they cry out for me, and I'm going to put them back in their land, and I'm going to establish them for my purposes. He could have left it right there. We would have seen his love. God did not demonstrate his love only in those ways. All of those ways are pointing to God's demonstration of love that he does not want us to miss. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to become our sin. And in becoming our sin and our rebellion against God, he took on himself all the things that had separated each one of us from God and put us all in a place of exile, away from God, never able to return to God. He took all of that sin that separated each one of us from God and he took it on himself and he bore it to the cross. And at the cross, Jesus Christ bled and he died and he suffered for our our sins so that the wages of all our sins which are death and separation from God might be paid in full and he was on the cross so that we might through the cross of Jesus Christ see the love of God fully demonstrated and behold that love for one such as I and absolutely be blown away behold what manner of love the father has for you that he would call you his child. Our same writer here, John, he writes in the Gospel of John that as many as saw him, saw Jesus, he gave them a right to become children of God Specifically, those who believe in Jesus' name. John chapter 1, verse 12. It says that these who believe in Jesus are not born of 
the blood. They're not born of the will of the flesh. They're not born of the will of man. No, they are born of God. Those who are born of God are born of God through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the display of God's love. You want to look at God's love for you? Look at your sin and see how God sent a Savior to forgive you of your sin and recognize that all your sins, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, are washed away. And instead of being called a child of another family, you are called a child of the living God. Behold, what manner of love God has poured out on you. You know, he's given you a new home. Look at verse 2. The end of verse 1 says, For this reason the world does not know us, because it does not know him. The world is no longer your home. That is so loving. That God would rescue you from the family of the devil through your faith in Jesus Christ because of his display of love that is unbelievable in Christ. And he would guarantee you a new home. And it's not this world. You have a new home. And he has every intention of getting you there. Look at verse 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God, right now, but it has not yet been revealed what we will be. We know that when He's revealed, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. You have a new home, and He's going to get you there. And that means you have a new hope. Brand new hope. You were formerly without God in this world and had no hope because you were not in the family of God. But because of the great display of God's love in Jesus Christ, you've placed your faith in Christ. you become a child of God. And because you're a child of God now, He has promised you that someday He will finish what He started in you. Because you belong to his family, he has a purpose for you becoming exactly like he has made you to be in Christ. You will one day fully resemble your father who is righteous. We are his children now, but we have not yet fully experienced Everything it means to be his child. But one day, Jesus Christ is going to come again. And we will experience everything it means to be his kids. We have hope. And because of that hope, verse 4, verse 3, into verse 3. Because of that hope, everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Because of the love of God who has transformed us into his kingdom, uh, his family, because of that love and that hope and that promise of a new home, we are on a new journey. We're headed in a different direction. We are headed towards being who our father is. We're going to resemble our dad. 
He is righteous, and that's why we practice righteousness, because we're going to resemble our Father. And our Father is righteous. And so we're on a new journey of purifying ourselves as our Father is pure, because that's the family we're a part of. That reality leads right into the second command. First command, see His love. Because if you don't see His love, You'll never understand this next command. But if you see his love that he rescued you and took you out of a family of darkness into the family of light, took you out of the family of the devil into the family of the Father, strictly because he loved you enough to send Jesus Christ for you, then you will gladly embrace the next command. Verse 7 is the next command. Little children, do not... Be deceived. Make sure you're not fooled. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Here's what you're not to be fooled about. If you're in God's family, there is a trait that is common to all of God's kids. And the trait is practicing righteousness don't be fooled there is no other way to understand what it means to be in the family of God God's kids reflect God God is righteous so everyone who practices righteousness has been born of God. So if God is your father, a trait of being born of God is practicing righteousness. The reason that those who are in the family of God practice righteousness is because they've been born of God. They've been called children of God. They have the seed of God in them. They're his offspring. You hear those words used repeatedly in this passage to convey that there is something that is fundamentally changed in you through your faith in Jesus Christ. You've been altered. You've been changed so that now you reflect your father. Previously, you reflected your father, the devil, and you practiced sin to the degree that we could say it's practicing lawlessness. No regard for God in your life. No concern for Jesus Christ in your life. You went about doing whatever you wanted to do, however you wanted to do it, with no regard for God. But the moment God rescued you because of his love for you, he fundamentally changed everything about you so that now you are going to reflect your dad. The family resemblance is unmistakable. Those who are in God's family look like their dad because he's your dad. I'll never forget when Lindley and I had our kiddos, each one of them. Um, we would have conversations after they were born and we were just looking. You know when you have a newborn, you just look at them a lot. Like one of the great things of God's design is that newborns sleep a lot because you just want to look at them a lot. And so it never really gets weird. And I love looking at 
our kiddos after they are born. And Lindley and I had a conversations like, she has your eyes. Praise God she doesn't have my nose. You know, uh, we, would, we would talk about resemblances. And I just loved that my kiddos had those kinds of traits about them. I want to tell you why that was particularly important to me. Being adopted, I didn't have any visible um, evidence of what my family looked like. And so when we had our kids and they resembled me, it was the first person in my life that I knew I looked a little like. And it was just really cool for me. There's something about being born into a family that's really special. The the, the reason that the family of God looks righteous is because the family of God has a righteous father. And we're his kids. And we can't help but look like him. And there's something really cool about looking like our dad, our heavenly father. My kids can't help that they look like me. I apologize to them all the time. (laughs) They can't help it because they're my kids. When you meet Jesus Christ, his love is so significant for you. And so altering to your heart that you can't help but look a little bit more like him every day the rest of your life. After Weston was born, I, I wanted to, um, I personally just wanted to thank my biological mother for making the decision to put me up for adoption. And so I wrote a letter to the children's home that facilitated my adoption in hopes that that letter would reach my biological mom. And in response to sending out that letter, I discovered that my biological mother had passed away when I was about 10 years old. And my biological grandmother sent me a card with a brief description of my mom and her picture. It was so cool to open that card and look at that picture and see. I look like her. She's my mom. God wants you to open your Bibles and he wants you to say, I look like him because he's my dad. You've been born of God. That's why you practice righteousness. But it's even better than that. You know, somewhere in the world, there's a guy 
who is uh, related to me paternally. He's my biological dad. I don't know his name. I've never met him. I know nothing about him. Zero. When I was just a little guy, an orphan, there was another man who couldn't have kids. And he decided he would leverage his life to be a blessing to a little boy who didn't have a dad. And he chose me to be his son. And he gave me his name. As much as I regret that it starts with a U. (laughs) He gave me his name. And that man is my dad. That man is who I call daddy. There's nothing like being adopted and knowing that somebody chose me. You know know why some people along the way have told my sister, who is my parents' biological daughter, you know why they've told my sister along the way, you and your brother look alike, and my sister look, and I look at each other like, they are morons. We can't even look alike. What is the deal here? You know why that happens? Because if you get my sister and me in the same room, you know what we do? We act the same. Our mannerisms, the way we talk, the way we laugh, there's so much similarity there because we're in the same family. It just so happens I was grafted in and got to experience the blessing of a family that chose to love me. Do you realize in Jesus Christ you have the blessing of both worlds? You have been born of God. And you have been called a child of God. You know why you want to practice righteousness? Because you have that kind of a dad. He loves you. He's made you his own. You know why you practice righteousness? Because your father sent his son to die for you. And Jesus Christ came to take away sin and to destroy the works of the devil. Whatever still looks like Your old family in you, you have Jesus Christ by way of His Holy Spirit with you at all times who is seeking to destroy the sin in your life and the works of the devil. You know why you practice righteousness? Because when God brought you into His family, He set up shop in you. And He sent His Son to destroy the works of the devil in you so that you would not have all the baggage from your previous family into eternity. That's why you practice righteousness. You, you, you practice righteousness because God's doing something in you that you fully get to participate in, not because of your merit, not because of your activity, but because of Jesus Christ. 
I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to hit a home run, but it's a pretty cool experience. I was uh, in my, probably in my, my 40s. I was playing on a church softball team, and I had this aspiration of wanting to hit a ball over the fence. I'd never done it before, and I thought, man, I can do it. I'm getting old, and I better get it done now because my chances are going to go down over time. And so I was working hard to do it. Had a had a big fan section of uh, 70 and 80-year-old women who came every week to watch me play. And uh, so, man, I wanted to bring it home for those ladies. You know, they were my my fan base, and, uh, and so I was so excited one night, I got to play, and I cranked one over the fence, and it was awesome, and one of the greatest things about hitting a home run is you get to run those bases and enjoy all the accolades of having hit that home run, and I'll never forget all the high fives and all the big hugs I got from all the ladies in my fan section that night. It was a wonderful experience. I loved it. It was amazing. I hit the home run, and I got a free pass to run every base until I got home. You know why you practice righteousness? Because Jesus Christ hit the home run for you. He put you on the base path. And now you get to run the bases freely on his behalf because of his merit. And he's going to get you home. And running the bases is practicing righteousness. Because he hit a home run to eradicate the sin in us. So what does it mean to practice righteousness? I mean, that's the next question. Okay, I, I get it. I, I have the love of God, and that's why I practice righteousness. But what does that mean? John has done such a masterful job helping us understand what it means to practice righteousness. God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. If you say you know God, but you walk in the darkness, you're lying. You don't know him. We all have darkness. We all have sin. If we say we don't sin, we don't have sin, we're lying. The truth is not in us. So don't say you don't have sin. Just confess your sin to God. And God in his grace and goodness because of Jesus Christ will cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. And in the vacuum of your unrighteousness will give you his righteousness because he is righteous and the righteousness of the father will work itself out in you the first step of practicing righteousness is confession of sin and in confessing our sin we're saying with the lord we don't want to keep on sinning was exactly what john says in first john chapter 2 verse 1 i'm telling you this i'm writing this to you so you may not continue in sin but if you do sin here's the great news you have jesus christ an advocate the righteous one and he's there to intercede for you and to remind you and declare in the heavens that you have been purchased with the price of his blood and you are clean. And you get to walk in the favor of God that Jesus Christ has secured for you and leave the sin you confess behind more and more for the rest of your life. And in doing that, you keep the commands. And the commands that have been emphasized in 1 John so far are you need to love the person you feel like you have a reason to hate. You need to make sure the truth of God has a home in your heart and you find a home in the church. You need to make sure that you seek after Christ as you pursue leaving sin behind more and more. What is practicing righteousness? It simply starts with confession of sin. And then leaving that sin behind and letting God so work in your heart that his love for you spills over into love for others. Here, 
we say it like this. Love God. Love people. Help others do the same. Behold, what manner of love God has poured out on you that you should be called the children of God. And that is who you are.